from Zamo Digital, welcome to the SaaS Marketing Superstars Podcast with your host, Aaron Sikowski. This is the show where we uncover proven growth strategies from CMOs and marketing leaders behind some of the fastest growing SaaS companies. Hey, superstars. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Aaron Zakowski, and today I'm chatting with Nick Jordan. Nick is a SaaS marketer and SEO expert with some unexpected strategies for growing organic web traffic for B2B companies. His LinkedIn profile states that he's grown his site from zero to one and a half million monthly organic visits in just two years. Hey, Nick, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Really excited to be here. Uh, be here. I've been looking forward to it all week. Yeah, great to have you on the show. Um, just to kick us off, would love for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and the kind of work that you do. Yeah, for sure. So my claim to fame is I took this project from zero to 1.5 million organics a month without building back things or doing any technical BS. Um, and they were able to use that campaign to, to go from a seed stage to a 210 million valuation by A16. Um, but I've used the same strategy four other times to go from zero to 100,000 organics a month. And for the SaaS founders that stick around and, and listen to the end, you're going to find out why SEO has never been more approachable uh, than it is today. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you, I'm excited to learn more, you know, from my own personal SEO strategy with my blog and marketing my agency. You know, it, content creation has always been a challenge. Um, yeah. I've always struggled with it. And, you know, because of that, I think we don't get nearly as much organic traffic as we probably could and should. Right. Um, so I would love to learn, you know, what the strategies are and how we can implement them and how some of our listeners can implement them as well for for uh, their companies. Um, I'll start off. I mean, my, my, my first curiosity is it seems like I guess it's so late in the day, like for all, all the core keywords that we would want to, you know, top of the funnel, you know, want to be ranking for, it's just so hard to compete with the big companies that are already there. Um, I know you've got some unique strategies in, in how SEO works, but but what would you say to someone who just thinks it's too hard to, to compete on the hard words? Uh, I would say that might be accurate if you're a uh, cancer uh, lawyer, cancer lawsuit lawyer, or uh -huh. you're working in uh, car or home insurance, or, you know, really like the hardest verticals to work in. But I haven't found that, um, you know, most businesses don't work in those verticals. Most businesses might work in what they consider hard, but it's actually not too difficult to, to get it done. Okay. So I guess before we get into the, the details, let, let, let's hear your approach. Because I, I know I've, I've heard a little bit from you. you. You've got a unique approach. You're saying no backlinks, no technical BS. So, so, so what is your secret sauce? How, how do you get it done and get these great results? Uh, yeah, so um, I'm an average person, you know, I was a sales guy up until a couple of years ago. And when I got into SEO, I knew that I wasn't smart enough to figure out how these whole backlinks things work. And mm -hmm. I knew I wasn't smart enough to do technical SEO beyond clicking buttons in a WordPress plugin. And so I set out to make SEO work for me with the limitations that I kind of know about uh, myself. Um, and I ended up discovering a, a way to do SEO where uh, you don't need to do backlinks. You don't need to do technical stuff to win. And essentially, it's by focusing on creating more value for the user than any other website that Google could show for the keywords that you want to rank for. And if you think about it, it makes sense. What better metric is there for Google to determine whether one page is better to service or serve the user than another than, than UX metrics. Um, TikTok uses UX metrics to influence reach. LinkedIn does, YouTube does, Facebook does. All of Google's major competitors use UX metrics to influence platform visibility. Why wouldn't Google? I mean, that totally makes sense. Um, I guess one, one of the, 
concerns I've always had when when creating content. Like obviously I love the idea, you know, put the best pieces of content out there. And obviously that's the stuff that people engage with and therefore uh, Google is going to want to rank the best. The challenge I've always had with that though is as as the the founder CEO of my of my agency, I always felt that I needed to create that content, that to be the best ideas out there, it had to come from the experts in the field. And that you couldn't necessarily give that to a content writer who doesn't necessarily have that same intimate knowledge of, of the the industry and the, and the content that they're actually writing about. You know, especially in B2B, like good B2B content requires a strong opinion and mm -hmm. it really requires expertise. So, you know, I wrote this case study from zero to 1.5 million organics a month. And I think at this point between YouTube and the blog, it has maybe 20,000 views. Um, but if someone who wrote that, you know, if someone were to go write that case study without having that same actual experience of implementing it, it's just mm -hmm. a lot less interesting for the reader because it's like, who are you to tell me, you know, this, this crazy result. Um, and so really it comes down to knowledge transfer and documentation. You mm -hmm. need to get all the strong thoughts and opinions that you have about the industry, why it's broken and why you're making the world a better place and literally write it out. Um, because, you can't hold people accountable to talking about something in a specific way mm -hmm. unless you've documented it. And so we've developed this really consistent process to basically extract knowledge from stakeholders' brains and then mm -hmm. write it down and, and hold our team accountable. Uh -huh. I mean, that, that, that sounds great. It sounds almost too good to be true, to be honest, because I've, I've tried doing it a bunch of times, but uh, I definitely believe in process and, and that it can be done. At this point, it's worked, you know, I think we've written content across 200 different kind of verticals or niches or industries or whatever you want to call it. And, oh. and so we made it pretty consistent, but I, I can totally see why a lot of people struggle with it. They're not a content agency. They haven't done it 200 times. Right. I guess the, pr the proof is in the pudding. I, I, you've got some incredible numbers in terms of the number of companies you've worked with and, and the number of content pieces it sounds like you, you've kicked out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, um, every project that we've taken on and we have adequate budget and we're able to do this, it's turned out good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, going back to Google's use of UX metrics, Google has that data. They have Google Analytics, of course, but they also have Chrome and Android. And so if they really wanted the, the user analytic data, you know, the world's most innovative big data company could get it. Mm -hmm. so, so it sounds like, you know, you've spoken about the, this breadth of so many pieces of content that, that you create for, for each project that you're working on. But you've yeah. also got quality. So it sounds like you're dealing with both quality and quantity. How, how do you, how do you achieve both of those things at the same time, really? And because I, I think you're using freelance writers and you know offshore writers and things like that, from what I've heard. Um, yeah. So our entire team is is uh, non-native English speakers. Uh -huh. um, ironically, they all speak better English than I do as a native uh, <laughs> because they had to actually learn the grammar rules that I immediately forgot after my test in seventh grade. Uh -huh. um, Really, you know, it takes two things. The first is people who care and then documentation. Every single word of content writing, like code, is a liability to mess something up. Spelling, grammar, positioning, messaging, formatting, all sorts of things. So how do you publish hundreds of thousands of liabilities every single month? Well, honestly, it's really hard because the easiest thing for your team to do is let things slide. You know, how do you consistently care about every single word when there's just so many of them? So you need, you need the people who care. And then you need the documentation to hold them accountable. If you've ever worked in a team environment or worked in a group environment and you've told those people something, you'll know that one month later, most of them don't remember. And those that did remember something differently than what you told them. And so if you want to hold people accountable to something, it needs to be written down. And so there's documentation you know, across the entire 
campaign lifecycle. That makes a lot of sense. Obviously, process and, and documentation are, are the key to getting definitely with an off offshore large team. I guess it's the only way to get things done. So tell me a little bit, I guess, wh what what is the method essentially for, for for ranking well? Like I know you've said generally it's it's content, it's a lot of content, but it seems like these numbers you're saying, like like a given website, if you're going to rank it well and get to tens or hundreds of thousands of, of organics a month, right? How much yeah. content is, is required for that? Are you publishing daily, weekly? What, yeah, what's, so, what's the secret sauce uh, thing? More, more is always better. But, you know, John Moeller recently said, John Moeller is now like the, the head of Google search PR and he's the guy talking to all us SEOs. Uh -huh. um, he recently said, it's hard for me to find a 30 page website authoritative. And if you think about it, he's absolutely right. In 2022, literally anyone on the internet can publish a 30 page website over the weekend. Uh -huh. And so if Google were to give valuable keywords to any 30 page website, two things would happen. The first is that Google would send a lot of their users to scummy websites that just got started yesterday, published their 30 pages, uh, and don't really have a business model. Uh, the second thing is that there'd be too much variability in the search results. So you publish your 30 pages, you get access to the high value keywords. The next day someone publishes 30 pages, they bump you off. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you can publish, content is expensive. If you can publish 200 pages of content, then there must be some sort of business model behind the content investment that customers like. And that's how I kind of try and explain Google's behaviors through, you know, business logic and never, never technical terms. Um, you know, if, who are you going to trust more like a, a, a pet website with five pages of content or a pet website with 200? Like it's just sure. the, the fact of going through the process means you probably know more than, than the guys with five. Mm -hmm. And so when trying to write that much content, are you, are you just kind of going long tail, you know, top of funnel, anything related to the industry? Um, or are these kind of intent focused words that are really related to the product or service that, that the company is actually delivering? Uh, so what I found is that a lot of businesses think, hey, there's a handful of keywords that I want to rank for. And that's almost never true. Um, when you look at the opportunity to get in front of a qualified audience who has money to give you, uh, generally, I found that it's measured in hundreds, if not thousands of pages. And so there's always this debate whether you start at bottom of the funnel uh, and work up or start at top of the funnel and work down. And I think either strategy is fine, but, you know, kind of from a high level and, and we have we have videos that are like super tactical and can walk you through and screen share and tell you where to click. But from a high level, we prepare the keyword list in Ahrefs. We use cluster AI to group those keywords into individual mm -hmm. pages. And then with the cluster AI deliverable you can, you actually have a very formula way to optimize content. So you're going to get a main keyword, all the variations that can rank on that same page with the main keyword. And then you can drop the main keyword into places like the URL and the H1, and then the variations in the H2s in the content. And that enables my team of editors who don't know any SEO to optimize content while they're editing. And despite the fact that they don't know SEO, when they follow these formulaic instructions with the cluster I deliverables, it just naturally ranks. That's amazing. Um, so, so tell me a little bit how you work with your agency clients. You know, what, what would engagement look like? How much on a given month on a, on a typical engagement for a client, like how much, how many pieces of content are you putting out? Um, you know, we'll, we'll put out, um, anywhere from 10 to 40 pages a month. Uh, -huh. uh and that can scale to hundreds and hundreds of pages, depending on how ambitious the client is and how much VC they just raised. So uh -huh. with the case study that I mentioned zero to 1.5 million, we were publishing 600 pages a month. We published a lot of content. pages on the campaign. Yeah. And those are long pieces of, you know, a thousand words plus per, per piece of content. 
Yeah, right around there. What we found is that in the beginning, when you're you're competing from a position of weakness, just try and beat your competitors on everything. More words, more H2s, more internal links, more external links, more media. Um, but as you become like an authority, you can get away with less. And so if you, if you do less, you get more service area because you can just go broader. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. And what what's the importance of link building these days? Everyone thinks of SEO and you got to get your links right. Am, am I thinking too old school in that perspective? Does it still really matter? Yeah, you know, going back to what's like Google's best metric to, to determine whether one page adds more value than another, I just can't imagine it being backlinks when, you know, the analogy I always give is if I showed you two pieces of text and it was in a language you don't speak, let's say it's Klingon, and I just told you the user engagement metrics on each page and you knew that it's about the same topic, you could probably tell me which one's better based off of just the UX metrics. This one has 10 minutes on site, five pages visited, a 50% bounce rate. This one has one minute on site, a 95% bounce rate, one page visited. Like you don't even have to read it to know like this one clearly creates more value for the Klingons. So what I found in 2022 is that, you know, when I do campaigns, websites that have more backlinks and higher DR will go faster um, and I'll rank better, but it's not necessary. I um, Whatever kind of backlink profile you've accumulated through your general marketing motion uh, should be enough to get a really great outcome. And I've proven it on DR9 websites. I took to 100K. I've taken, you know, three or four DR30 websites to 100K. And so everything that I've seen um, indicates you don't have to build backlinks. Fascinating. I mean, that's that's incredible to know. Um, and and I'm, I'm just having you answer all my SEO questions at this point, the things I've been thinking about. And hopefully we be, uh, our audience will find this interesting and have the same questions as well. Um, so one of the trends, obviously, that's going on right now um, end of 2022 is short video, TikTok, YouTube shorts, yeah. things like that. I know there's, a you know, obviously people are engaging. There's a lot of talk that especially young people are going straight to these platforms to, to search for answers rather than yeah. going to Google. Is this type of content becoming important in terms of a ranking strategy to, to be creating short videos in order to, to rank better in Google? What I've seen is that when I have video content in my articles, that the content does rank better. And I think it's, you know, it's hard to attribute a percentage of impact anything or, or why that is. But I think it's a toss up between Google owns YouTube and wants to promote assets with YouTube videos yeah. or it drives better user engagement metrics. I think both of those. Can uh -huh. be so it's not necessarily creating your own videos to rank. It's just including embedded videos within the post. Helps doesn't even have to be your videos. Yeah. Doesn't even have to be yours. And I think, um, you know, if you put a TikTok video in there and it was engaging and made sense for the content that I think Google would promote it, even if it's not hosted on YouTube. Awesome. Makes sense. Um, one thing I want to jump in and say is that a user focused approach to SEO is actually really empowering because when yeah. you talk about backlinks, essentially what you're doing is you're praying to the Google gods. No one really understands backlinks and, you know, like it's, it's very fuzzy, uh, opaque. Uh, and you're like, is it even working? Um, but if the, if the best SEO strategy is, well, what's best for my users? Um, one, you're taking control of the outcome because everything that in, uh, influences the outcome is within your control. And then two, you have a decision-making framework to address literally anything that comes up during the course of the campaign, even if you don't know the answer or haven't seen it before. That makes a lot of sense. Um, do you do any, I know the name of your company is actually contentdistribution.com, right? Do you actually distribute content or is this more just like publishing, getting it indexed and just letting Google take it from there? Or are you, do you have a strategy for putting it on social or email or places like that? 
We distribute it through Google. Um, for our own content, we have a social strategy and we'll do one-off things, but uh, social distribution and, and other kinds of distribution aren't, it's not a scalable thing. You have to like figure out a new tactic or hack for each type of content that you're working with. Makes a lot so, of sense. For example, when I was growing Doggypedia from zero to 100,000 organics a month in 13 months, I figured out a couple Pinterest and Facebook group hacks that allowed me to slam it with um, social traffic, which made it rank uh, quicker than it would if I just waited it for it to accumulate that traffic in search. Mm -hmm. Those strategies sense. wouldn't work for my agency and it won't work for my clients. So you have to kind of hack it and it's just too much work. Yep, that makes sense. Um, one of the other things I've been curious about just from the SEO point of view is you know, I, I've been posting a lot more on social and on LinkedIn yet, lately. And I think about repurposing that content in some way. Do you have any strategies for for taking social content, you know, which you, know, you, you post it on LinkedIn, let's say, People see it for a couple of days, maybe a month, and then it just kind of disappears into the ether and isn't really ranking. Are there are there ways of taking that content that you're creating on one platform and then adding it to your blog or in some way to be able to get some SEO benefit long-term out of it as well? Um, I think it's tough. I think the basically kind of what the audience is expecting and what they engage with is very different on social than it is on, you know, blogs. Um, so maybe you could go the other way where you write a blog post and then you can recycle it into social. But I think, you know, typically it's, it's that way and not here's a social post. I'm going to try and rank it on Google. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Um, and I guess what, one of the questions I have, and I know a lot of people have is how long does it take to start seeing results? I'm not necessarily getting to, you know, hundred thousand monthly views, but you know, if someone starts this process, they're publishing, you know, 20 pieces of content a month, how long will it take for them to start seeing, you know, noticeable increase in terms of that hockey stick going up and to the right? Yeah. So when we do projects and we can publish 20 pages a month, uh, mm -hmm. by the time we publish about the 40 to 50th page, what we'll see is that traffic will grow week over week, eight out of 10 weeks, and it'll grow month over month every single month. Um, and yeah, you're right. SEO does take time, but if you can literally see it moving towards the desired outcome every single week, it allows you to be a lot more patient than if it, like you just, your SEO guy is telling you it'll be six months before we know if it's working. Yeah. So, so you're saying that's not necessarily true that it takes six months when you do it your way. Absolutely not. No, if you're publishing 20 pages a month, traffic should be growing every single week because you're putting such, you're just, you're just expanding your footprint in the SERPs um, to such a significant extent that, you know, there will be random fluctuations on individual pages and keywords, but in general, overall, the campaign should be consistently moving upwards. It's interesting. You've, you've definitely got a lot of ideas spinning around in my head right now about this that I hadn't really considered in quite a while. So I appreciate that. Um, let's talk about writers for a few minutes. Um, yeah. I mean, because the strategies all make sense, but the implementation of what you're saying sounds incredibly overwhelming. You know, yeah. I know I, I said, you know, 20, 20 pieces of content per month, but like that's a huge amount of content to, to write. And and from, from process to organization to, to, to content ideation to actually having the writers to produce that. I mean, I know you've got processes, right? Like, where do you find the writers that that can write like that and, and be able to afford a project of that kind of scope? So the, the truth to hiring writers is that it doesn't matter how much you pay or where you recruit from. Ninety five percent are unqualified. Writing right now is the lowest barrier work from home job. And so everyone with a crummy job who doesn't want to go wake up and go to the grocery store, or the gas station where they work mm -hmm. is applying to, to write. But you know, according to the Department of Education, 54% of Americans have an eighth grade reading level or below, you know, just limiting your hiring to the US only isn't like uh, a panacea or, or a, an oasis. Yeah. Um, 
really, you know, uh, and then the next hard thing is that writers lie in their portfolio. Really, really bad writers have great portfolios. You hire them, they give you garbage, you fire them, rinse and repeat. And so mm-hmm. um, I actually started a company called Workello, which helps you evaluate hundreds and hundreds of writing candidates. So you're only left with the top one to 5% uh, because it is such a big problem that everybody has finding good writers. Yeah. I've uh, I've hired freelance writers several times over the years, just trying to figure out how to try it again, you know, outsource some of my writing, get some content being created. You know, I'll outline my thoughts and things like that. And even when the ideas are coming from me, I never seem to get a result I'm happy with. And 50% of the time, I don't even, I pay a few hundred dollars for the article, sometimes more than $500 for an article, and then end up not even publishing it because I'm just not happy with the results I get. You know, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars on content that I couldn't use without a total rewrite before I started testing my writers before I engaged them on a paid engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's all a numbers game. The more writers you test, the more likely you are to find that right mix of quality, experience, capacity, and and uh, price. You yeah. know, if you only if you only engage with a couple writers and you only test a couple, you're not going to get the best that you can afford. You're going to get the least worst of mm-hmm. the handful you talk to. So. You know, if you want better writers, just put more writers in your funnel, test more writers, and you'll end up with better writers. Makes it's absolute like a, sense, but like but a, uh, for someone who's not running an agency, it sounds uh, a little daunting and un- unreasonable to think you're going to test 100 writers or something like that. WorkL allows you to do it in two minutes. Um, you know, I've spent over the last three years, my agency's hired over 100 writers. I've spent probably a thousand hours thinking about how to hire writers. Uh-huh. Uh, it's really just a volume game. You put more candidates in, you get better candidates out. Uh-huh. And, and you're saying that, that your platform Workello was able to test them very quickly. So you're actually not wasting that much time and money determining who are the, really the winners. Yeah. Now the problem is, is testing candidates, testing writers is really hard unless you can automate everything. So mm-hmm. that's what Workello does. It steps in to allow you to test hundreds where you couldn't do that via email or via Google form or whatever. All right. That sounds like something I'm going to have to check out. Um, what else should I? What else should I be asking you about SEO? Like, what any, any important uh, things I've missed before we move on? Um, so uh, I'll talk about our software stack really quick. So yeah, sure. we, we use Airtable for our content calendar. Um, we use Slight for our knowledge base. It's better than Notion and Google Docs. Uh, Grammarly, uh, Zapier to glue everything together. Work out to hire writers. Cluster AI to automate your keyword research. Um, and Slack and Zoom. So I think pretty standard setup. All right. Awesome. Um, so moving on a little bit from, from SEO, um, just general, you're, you're a SaaS marketer, you're a founder, you're running your own company. Um, what are your biggest struggles as a marketer growing, growing your business outside of SEO specific things? Man, what are my biggest challenges as a marketer? I'd say, okay, the one that's driving me the nuts today is yeah. uh, post signup attribution. So it's very trivial to track signups to particular pages. Like anyone can do that, but how do you know which user was the one who signed up on that page? And then how do you follow their journey through your product to know when they convert to revenue? So I know that in the last you know, couple of days, we've had 10 conversions from SEO mm-hmm. and I don't know who any of the users are. Okay. Attribution is, is definitely one of the uh, biggest struggles that most people I speak with are. are post sign up attribution. Yeah. How, yeah. how do you do post sign up attribution? How do we post sign up attribution? So, I mean, I, I guess what you're referring to is understanding which page somebody signed up on and then re- connecting that to, user to, and to then, down yeah. the funnel. So I, I guess it, 
if you could, it's not something we do too much of because most of the clients that we work with, we're sending to a specific landing page. So there could be a unique form on that page or something along those lines. So it's, it's pretty easy to know most, you know, 90% of traffic is heading to towards certain landing pages. We know which form they filled out. But I think another way that you could potentially do it, you could probably use some uh, hidden fields in the form, then maybe yeah. pull in the URL. And so yeah. you know which page they subject they submitted their information onto, and then yeah. add that to the CRM or your database. And that could be appended onto the onto the record within your database of, of where they signed up originally. The questions that I always have more is which pieces of content influenced it? So which where where did they touch before they converted? Um, and maybe between sign up and actual conversion on like a product like growth type of thing, as opposed to someplace where they're just filling out a lead form. Yeah, for sure. As the SEO, I want to know which page they entered on because then I get to claim credit. But for sure, the the, the marketer after me is like, but which page did they convert on? Yeah. Uh, yeah well, it's because it's, like, it's one it's one thing to to know what page brought them in from an organic search point of view, but you also want to have a better understanding of which pages influence the conversion. You might be able yeah. to pull them in from a whole bunch of long term keywords, right? But I think a well organized blog, which I think generally what we're talking about with this type of content is going to have, I guess, other promotions on the page, like certain case studies you want them to come to, certain other you know pillar pieces of content. And even though they came in from long, long tail, they might go over to certain other core pieces of content directly after that as a second page they visit. And which of those actually influenced the conversion, maybe more than the organic page that they, they entered on. So how do you solve it today? I don't. <laughs> I wish I could. Uh, I mean, my agency is mostly pay, focused on, um, on paid ads. Right. So it's not quite as relevant. We're generally just sending them to a landing page, but there is an element of people click the landing page, but then they go search around a little bit. They go, you know, rummage through the site, read some content, look at the case studies, pricing, et cetera. And then they might convert to some other field on, on the website other than the landing page that we originally sent them to. So obviously we want to make sure we're still capturing and attributing that, that conversion from a different page from the initial UTM parameters that we brought them to on the site. But being able to know what pages as they touch, it's complicated, like you said. I wish there was an easy solution. Um, yeah, I mean, paid ads is another thing I, I, I struggle with. And sometimes I ask myself if I could trade my SEO skill set for an equivalent in paid ads, would I? And I think the answer is for sure, yes. Like this whole SEO thing takes a long time, even when you're really good at it. And I just like the, the ability for ads to just drive instant traction into your SaaS. Yeah, listen, I, I think there's a trade-off. I mean, I didn't expect the conversation to go this way, but but it's it's an interesting conversation. I think the grass is always greener. Right. So, so when people come to me for SEO, I generally will tell them, you know, maybe go run some some Google ads for a short bit, figure out yeah. which keywords are actually going to convert. Right. Yeah. This is more like a sample to identify what, what are the valuable keywords to you. And then, you know, that, you know, you're not going to go spend six months or a year ranking for a keyword just to discover, oh, it's not going to convert like you thought it did. Right. Now, that might be a little bit different than your strategy where you're just going so broad that you're just going to go after every keyword and, and you're not you're not focusing on one or two keywords just to get them up to the top. Um, yeah. Right, so that's a little bit different. But then, as an agency owner, from one agency owner to, to another, I think the the challenge is, you know, when when I sell an agency client on paid ads, I'm going to charge them, you know, our retainer fee generally starts around five thousand dollars a month. But on top of that, they've got to have an ad budget, right? Yeah. So 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 I might be selling five thousand, but they're going to be putting in another five, ten, twenty thousand dollars to get started on that. So it's actually a much higher sell to be able to, to, to get a company to want to invest in. It's true, you're gonna have more immediate results, right? This is investing in the now. As, a, as an SEO agency, I would imagine if a client comes and pays you, let's say $5,000 for a project, you know, you're taking the $5,000, you don't need to now tell them, okay, and on top of that, you gotta go pay for $10,000 more in ads. It's like, that's the whole cost involved in the project. 
but the results are going to take a little bit longer to get there. So I think there's just always pros and cons in, in both the different markets. Speaking from agency owner to agency owner, you know, one of the other things I'm jealous of is to scale, you know, to scale that paid spend, you probably don't need like too many other people. Maybe the the single, you know, ad buyer can scale to hundred K a month in ad spend. In order for me to scale to hundred K a month in SEO spend, I need a giant team. Uh, so many people, so many writers, so many editors, so many PMs. Uh, and so I'm kind of I'm kind of jealous of your business model. Again, so pros and cons. You, you as the agency owner need to have a bigger team in order to scale that up. Yeah. If you look at it from not maybe an agency, but from the business's point of view, if they're going to scale up tremendously with paid ads, they need to put a whole lot of money into that, right? You're, yeah. You know, it's, it's dollars. It's not people um, yeah. that you're going to do from from the work that needs to get done. In addition to to the budget on the paid ads, there there is still a bit more work. Probably not as much as producing, you know, huge volumes of, of content. But as you're spending more on paid ads, you also need a lot more creative. And you're going to that have to sense. recycle through that creative much more frequently because if you're spending $10,000 a month, you know, frequency might be, you know, 1.3 per month, average times that people are going to see that ad in the course of a month. But when you ramp that up to $50,000, $100,000, still with the same relative size of audience, which is typically the case in, in a B2B world, like we're not we're not doing direct to consumer. We've got you know tens of millions of people that we're targeting in most cases, right? There's maybe hundreds of thousands or a couple of small million people that we're targeting, right? Those ads are going to burn out over time, and and continuing to find new creative, and and on top of that, also other marketing efforts, you know, continuing to put out content, continuing to build the brand, concrete, continuing with thought leadership to, to help those conversions over time is also a critical piece of it. So, the grass is definitely greener, I think. Yeah, always. Yeah. Um, awesome. That that was uh, not where I expected us to go, but that was an important conversation and, and uh, def good perspective. Um, let's jump into our uh, lightning round. A couple quick questions, a couple quick answers at the end, um, yep. and then we'll wrap things up. So first question I would ask you is, um, what book would you recommend for our, our listeners to read? What book? A book. Oh, man. Are you a reader? Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a reader. Uh, voracious. Uh, man, it's... It's about power or something. It's Atomic Habits, Atomic Habits. So uh, the thing I like about Atomic Habits is like small little changes every single day add up to very significant changes over long periods of time. You know, one of my favorite quotes is from Naval Ravikant. He said, careers mm -hmm. are measured in, in decades, not months or years. Um, and I think uh, it's all about the small things that you do day in and day out. Right. That's a great recommendation. In fact, uh, I think several people on our last 27 episodes we've done on this podcast have, have also mentioned it. So you're in good company. Um, right. What's your favorite marketing or productivity tool right now? Uh, I love Airtable. It's like Google Sheets on steroids. You know, you can just manipulate data so easily. Uh, you know, prior to Airtable, you had to build in all these complicated formulas into Google Sheets to kind of get it to do what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And all it's done via the UI via Airtable, I think. Like it's such a genius product. It's it's probably one of my favorite. No, the favorite. Okay, awesome. And who's your favorite marketer or business leader that you're learning from these days? Oh man, that's a great question. There's uh there's so many good ones. Uh, who am I really loving? You know who I'm loving is I'm loving Sam Parr and Sean Curry. Like Love I can get a the million podcast. Like I feel like I've watched so many episodes. Like. I just keep on scrolling for one I haven't seen before and I, I haven't found one in a while. And I feel like like the two a week that they're doing isn't enough. I feel like we deserve more. Um, and <laughs> right. uh, like I just- I didn't hear the, the name of the podcast, My First Million Podcast. 
Um, it's actually one of my favorites. I've got two podcasts that I listen to religiously and almost never miss an episode. I know it's about uh, you, but I'm going to tell you my favorite also. Um, one of them is My First Million. The other one is All In Podcast. So those are, are the two best that, that I, I never miss any of those. That's my second favorite. I go to YouTube every day and I refresh wondering if they're going to give me a new podcast. And I know that the, it only comes once or twice a week and I still do it. That's how much I love it. Yeah. That's how I spend all my car time. I do I do podcasts rather than YouTube, but those are my two favorites. That That's awesome. Um, and last question is uh, where can listeners go to learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a 7,000 person Facebook group called uh, Fat Graph Content Ops. You can go to linkedin.com, linkedin slash in slash Nick from Seattle. Uh, and then you can go to workello.com and we have 7,000 word guides on how we do what we do. We share all of our secrets. It's very tactical, actionable, tells you where to click and everything. Awesome. Well, I recommend that everybody go and check out all those resources. Um, clearly, we've learned that Nick has a lot to share with us. So uh, thank you for joining us today. It's been an awesome episode. I've learned a lot and I'm sure the listeners have also. Thank you so much, Aaron. The SaaS Marketing Superstars podcast is brought to you by Xamo Digital Marketing. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks again for tuning in and keep on growing your SaaS.